Now, as you've noticed, uh, the last few Sundays we've been uh, looking in Advent and, and spending time really just reflecting on the things that have to do with the birth of Christ to this earth some 2,000 years ago. We looked at, uh, the first one was hope, and then we looked at peace, and, uh, and we've really seen how Jesus has brought these things to the world here, at, and we celebrated at Christmas. Hope has come from the birth of Jesus, hope for today, yes, but also in our current circumstances, but also our blessed hope, because one day we believe that Jesus is coming back. I'm convinced, I know it, God's word says it, we see the signs all around us, Jesus is coming back, and it could be today that he returns. And so that's our blessed hope that we live in. Also peace, we have peace knowing that Jesus is in our hearts, we've made peace with him, and we have peace knowing that one day he's going to reign and rule uh, on this earth as the perfect Prince of Peace. Today, we're going to look at joy. So there's joy in, uh, in our time that we have with the Lord. Now, I want to talk a little bit about gift giving for a minute, okay? Now, I said last week I mentioned how much I really don't like going to the malls. I don't like fighting the crowds and the traffic and all of just the, just the hubbub of all that's going on at Christmas time. There's just a lot of stuff going on, the traffic, the anxiety, all of that. But you need to know, but you need to get those gifts somehow, right? So, uh, so you can have them on Christmas morning. And I just got to say that Kelly, my sweetheart Kelly, has got this figured out. She has figured out the system. It's, it's, it's amazing. You want to hear it? It's, it's one word. You want to hear it? Amazon. That's right. Amazon. That is the key to a more peaceful Christmas, okay? Um, it's really awesome. They bring the stuff right to your door. And uh, in fact, I think we've set up a little cookie stand for them because they're, they're there all the time. It's just awesome. Uh, there's no muss, no fuss. Uh, I love America. You know, it's just awesome. So Kelly's got this figured out. So I love the joy of gift giving. One of the things that I love most about gift giving is this. Uh, and that is that as, 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 we, as our kids were growing up, it was fun to watch our kids open up presents. Now we have grandkids. And so there they are, and they're just at that perfect age. 11-year-old is the oldest one, down to six years old. And we just get to see them just tear open these gifts. And it brings me joy to watch them. And they really get excited, of course, as they see these presents. But here's another thing that really brings me joy. And I'm not sure I've even ever mentioned this to Kelly, but I actually enjoy watching Kelly watch them open it because she puts so much time and effort and just detail into making sure that all of our grandkids have gifts and that it's just she just well thought at. It's not just, well, let's just get this. She'll get a gift that's uniquely uh, special for that particular child. I wouldn't be able to do that. She has a gift, but she has a joy in doing it. So as on Christmas morning or whatever time they're opening up the gifts, I just sit back and, uh, and I just watch Kelly. Now you're going to be watching me watch you this Christmas, but I watch Kelly open up. I rather, I watch Kelly as she watches the kids open up the presents. And because and, I know the preparation, the time and the effort that's gone into it. And she just, ex, it just extracts so much joy out of her to just enjoy not only, you know, them, but all the rest of our family and watching them open up gifts. So I get joy in that. And so thank you for bringing me that joy. <laughs> uh, you know, when someone finds joy in something, um, it's really hard to hide 
that joy, the things that bring you joy, the things that you want to share with the world. It's kind of hard to keep good news to yourself, is it not? And we have the best news, the greatest news, the goodest of news, and that is in Jesus Christ who has come to this earth, and he's come to give us salvation. He's come to bring us great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto us is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It brings great joy, does it not? And it's just in our nature to want to share happiness and good news with someone. It's no wonder that we find in Scripture uh, that God is eager to share the joy of Christ's birth even before it was time for Him to arrive. If we read in the Old Testament, we see uh, the coming of Jesus was announced long before He came on the earth. And by the way, this is the best news, it's the greatest gift that's ever been to humankind. It's better than the invention of the wheel. It's better than the printing press. It's better than electricity. And even with the flashing lights of electricity, it's better than that. I feel like I'm in a disco this morning. It's better than the combustible engine. And yes, folks, I know it's hard to believe, but it's even better than Krispy Kreme donuts. Yes, it's better. It's the best news that the world has ever heard. And as you read these prophecies in the Old Testament, you can almost sense God's excitement for the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that would come through the arrival of Jesus. Which brings me to my first point today, as the light just continues to have fun today. Jesus' birth, not these lights, but Jesus' birth is the source of our true joy. Jesus' birth is the source of our true joy. There's a lot of things that will bring us temporary joy. But the birth of Jesus brings us permanent joy. The good news of the birth of Jesus is the source of our true joy. The book of Isaiah speaks to this coming gift about someone who would come to prepare the world for the arrival of Jesus. So we see that Jesus came to the earth, but we also know of someone who came just before him. John the Baptist is who we know it as. Now, this passage was written about John the Baptist hundreds of years before its fulfillment. It's found in Isaiah chapter 40, and it's one of God's joyful promises about the future. Follow along with me, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. So there's a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now that was a prophecy in Isaiah 100 years before even John the, uh, John the Baptist showed up. God's promise was that there would be a time of preparation leading up to the birth of Christ. There's going to be this sort of straightening and a leveling that's going to take place, so says the prophecy. And it's going to ensure that the glory of God in Jesus Christ would be made available to all people. That's what Isaiah chapter 40 says. That's what we just read. Nothing is going to be able to stop what God was planning. And I'll say that again about today. Nothing is going to stop what God has planned for this earth and for this church, and for the world. Nothing is going to stand in its way. Satan, the Antichrist, the world's systems are not going to get in the way of what God has planned. You read it, and it's going to come to pass. What God says will happen, will happen. But back in the day before Jesus was born, 
We also see where John the Baptist shows up. Now, the truth is, is this. In anything in life, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about the birth of, of your children, you don't just sit back when you find out you're pregnant and you say, well, okay, nine months from now, we're going to have a baby. There's preparation that takes place. And so it was with Jesus. There was preparation in the world that needed to take place. And really anything that is something that we can enjoy, that fills us with joy, it requires uh, uh, preparation. Now, how many ever seen that show, The Great Christmas Light Fight? on TV, yeah, where these people from all over the United States will just, not just decorate their houses with just a little string of lights and Santa going ho, ho, ho. And it's not just a casual sort of Saturday after Thanksgiving, well, I guess we better throw Santa out there and throw a little string of lights, put a wreath up on the, on the door, you know. They spend years perfecting it. They spend thousands of dollars. They recruit family members, neighbors, I mean they go all in in preparing these homes and their yards and, the, and everything about it uh, 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 to, to decorate for Christmas. It's like, it's like Lowe's just threw up in their yard. You know what I'm saying? It was just, it's just awful. It's just awful, okay, what goes on. And, it, and it's kind of impressive. Now, now they, they certainly want to get the prize. Now, the, the money... Grand prize doesn't help either, but they want bragging rights. And they also do it for the joy of, of just decorating for, for Christmas. And it's all the secular stuff you see out there. It's impressive. It's sad. It's breathtaking. It's silly all at the same time. But the fact is, a whole bunch of preparation took place before that event. And in the same way, God was preparing for Jesus to come to, earth, to, come to the earth for the moment that mankind fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, from then until Jesus came, God was preparing. It didn't just happen. Preparation needed to take place. I want to read to you the very first hint that God had a plan when man fell into sin. Genesis 3.15 says, and I will put enmity. He's speaking to the snake, the serpent. He's speaking to Satan. He's saying, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. What that's saying is, is that, yes, I will allow you to crucify him, but he's going to do worse on you than you are on him, because you might just bite his heel, but he's going to crush you. God had a plan, and so the preparation began from that very moment until the birth of Christ. And by the way, the preparation is continuing. And when we hear the trumpet sound, there's going to be some other things that we're going to see unfold. This promise in Isaiah is that the people of God will see this preparation take place. It's not going to be hidden. It's not going to be a secret. God does not want them to miss it because it's a signpost for what's to come. Any barriers that are in the way of experiencing the joy of the miraculous birth will be removed. God, when God says it, it's going to be done because all of his promises are yes and amen. There's no desert. There's no mountain. There's no valley. There's no rugged place that will stand in the way of the revelation of Christ. And may I even just say this one more time to you. There is no desert. There is no mountain. There's no valley. There's no rugged place that will stand in the way of what God has promised you as well today. If God says it, it's done. So with that said, Today, we're going to come upon a character in the New Testament named Zechariah, who happens to be John the Baptist's father. 
he and his mother, Zechariah and Elizabeth. He was a priest, Zechariah was, who served in the temple of God. And we find him in the temple burning incense in the worship time while the people are praying outside. Turn with me, if you, are, if you will, to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read uh, verses 11 through 17. It'll be on the screen as well. Luke chapter 1, verse 11, here we go. It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But then the angel said to him, Don't be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. And he will be a great joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many to the pe- he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and, to the, and, uh, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now here's Zechariah. Suddenly, while he's in the temple, this angel appears and speaks to him. And if you notice, as in most of the stories at Christmas time, the very first thing that the angel says to those that he appears to is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so he calmed him down. And so apparently Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who had been trying for many years to have a child, and they were getting on up in age, finally, apparently based on this prophecy, upon this promise, their prayers were being answered. The angel said, you're going to give birth to a son. And the angel said that you're to name that little baby John. And let me just reiterate, it says the angel said that he's going to be a joy and a delight to you as parents, and many will rejoice because of his birth. So there was something special about John. Another thing special about this boy is that he's going to be filled with the Spirit of God. And he'll be kept free from wine and fermented drink because he would take a Nazarite vow. I'm not going to go into what that is this morning, but you can read about that and study about it. But a Nazarite vow was one that actually uh, Samson took and other people in the Old Testament. A Nazarite vow was someone who, if, if you took this vow, it would keep you from drinking alcohol. It would keep you from cutting your hair. <clears throat> and it would keep you from coming in contact with dead bodies. That's the vow that John made. So clearly... This boy was special, and God had plans to use him to bring joy to his family and to the entire world by the way that he would live. And because of his life, there's, there would be a lot of people who would be brought back to the Lord. We see that in the life of John. And because of his life, he would also then prepare many people for something wonderful that was about to happen. And I don't know if you can just see this, but just pay attention to it. You can see the connection between Isaiah's passage and the story of Luke in verse 17, because this baby boy is going to prepare the people for the arrival of the Lord. John's going to be a joy to his family, a joy to the world, because he'll be one calling in the wilderness and making a way for the arrival of the Son of God. Which brings me to my second point today, and this is what's something not just for John, but it's something for us today. Because not only is Jesus the one that brings us true joy, he's the good news of great joy, But let me tell you one more thing. It's a joy to prepare others to experience Jesus. You see, as we've been given that good news of great joy, someone told us at one time, did they not? So now we tell someone else. 
And doesn't that bring us joy? When you tell someone about Jesus, how does that make you feel? Have you ever told someone about Jesus? It makes you feel good, doesn't it? It gives you a joy. I think about the team that went again to the Hope Center yesterday. And there was about 15 of you that went there, some that had never gone before, went yesterday. I applaud you. Thank you so much for doing that. And Shekinah was talking to me about this last night, about how, how, much, how much joy that it brought the people. You're praying for people. You're serving them. You're loving on them. You're telling them about Jesus. There's a joy that takes place when you're able to share some good news. And there's no better news to share than the good news of Jesus Christ. And it brings great joy to prepare others to experience Jesus. That's what John the Baptist did. You know, Jesus is not just our joy today, church. But one of the greatest joys of the Christmas season is the opportunity that we're given to prepare the way for others to experience and see Jesus for who he really is. And I would say that the most joyful person this time of year, if you look around, are not those who are caught up in the rush of the Christmas season and all that the world has thrown into it. But the most joyful people this time of year are the ones who've experienced the true hope and the true peace and the true joy that God brings in our lives because of their trust that they've placed in Jesus Christ. That's where true joy comes from. The way that they speak to others, the way that they serve others, the way that they treat others are all a means of preparing the way for others to meet Jesus. I asked you this morning, how are you treating others? How are you speaking to others? How are you serving others? Is it in such a way where they see Christ in you and through you in all that you do in your interactions with them? Because when you do, and as you do, it brings a time of preparation in their hearts because the Word of God says that we plant and water, and it's God that brings the increase. So we take and we treat others the way that we need to, the way that God has called us to, the way that Jesus would treat them as we speak to them, as we interact with them, and make sure that it brings them not anxiety, not anger, not frustration, but joy and peace and love, and we represent Christ well. I need you to turn to someone and say, please represent Christ well. Yeah. You see, that's a great admonition that we have to one another right now. Please represent Christ well. I hope that that speaks to your heart this morning. We need to rep church. Listen, we need to represent Christ well, because if we don't, who will? We are Christians like Christ, representatives of Christ, ambassadors for him. We go from this place out to our highways and byways, and we represent Christ well with our coworkers, with our classmates, in our families, in our homes, in our day-to-day -day lives. Let's represent Christ well, because this joy that I'm speaking of here this morning is a commodity it is in desperately short supply. There's people all around us who are miserable. They're in over their heads because of their involvement in sin. They're just wrapped up in it. They're heartbroken over the pain that they're experiencing in their lives that's been ongoing. 
They're hopeless in the face of suffering. They're, they're stressed out. They're filled with anxiety. They're frustrated at all sorts of things, and they can't see the forest for the trees. And we have an opportunity day to day in our lives to share the joy of Jesus to those who are in absolute desperate need of Jesus Christ. Church, let's not lose the focus of why we're here on this earth and why Jesus came to be born as a baby and why during this time of Advent that we have the opportunity to go out from this place in this two weeks from tomorrow is Christmas. We have two weeks to express the joy of Christ to those that are, that are just caught up in the things of this world that Christmas is, has, uh, has really crammed down our throats, that the world has crammed down our throats about Christmas. But beyond the two weeks, we also have the rest of the year to do so. I want to just give you a story here as an example of what I'm talking about, of what we can do to make a difference. Now, I, Kelly and I love to watch Little House on the Prairie I just love it. Anybody want to join me in that? Anybody? Okay, good. Guilty as charged. So there was a storyline that we watched, I don't know, it was about a week or so ago. And it was a story about Almanzo, which was Laura's husband. She grew up, she got married, you know, Almanzo. And so her father, Charles, uh, and Almanzo were uh, at the same time had an opportunity to deliver some, some goods. They were canned goods, meats, different things like that. And they decided they were going to uh, deliver it to a, another community. They decided that they were going to take different paths. Uh, one was going to take the more beaten path. It was a longer path, but it was straighter. That was Michael, or rather that was Michael Landon. That was Charles Ingalls. Now, Almanzo decided he was going to take the shorter path. He could probably get there faster. The contest being that whoever got there first would have bragging rights, would have to do some things to kind of, you know, pay the other person. But the trick with that one was that it was a hilly one. So he said, you know what, I think we can do it. So the couple of horses on a cart loaded up with goods, and off they went. So Charles took off, and he had his own little story to tell, but I want to focus on Almanzo for a minute, because as he was going up to, the, to the one of the hills, he looked at it, and he said, all right, horses, here we go. This is our test. And he tried to make it up the hill, and the horses got about halfway up, loaded up fully, and they decided they couldn't make it. It was just too much to pull, so they went back down. So Almanzo was trying to figure out how to get, these, how to get this food over this hill. So he thought, okay, I'll tell you what I can do. I can unload my cart to about half full. I'm going to set it off to the side. The horses will go up. I'll unload half of the cart up there. I'll go back to the bottom of the hill. Un I'll load up the rest of the stuff that I unloaded, pack it up, bring it up to the hill, and then I'll put it all back in, and I'm good to go. Smart plan. What he didn't figure was that when he unloaded the stuff at the top of the hill and went back with an empty cart back to the bottom of the hill, a husband and a wife and three sons were coming in their horse cart, and they had just were talking about how... They were without food and how they were praying to God to provide for them because they were at their last meal starving to death. And they lived in a home in a place where they were doing some mining and the mining didn't work out. They just weren't able to find whatever it is that they were trying to mine for to try to make a living. And there they were just trying to figure out how that they were going to live. And they had these three boys in the back. And they said, oh, Lord, you have provided for our needs when they came up on this stack of boxes. Looked around, realized that nobody was here and said, this has got to be a gift from God. So the family loaded up the stuff in the back of their cart. Off they went to their house. Well, here's Almanzo uh, loading up the back of the, his cart, pulling the, you know, the stuff up the hill again. Got to this place where those, place, those boxes and carts were, and they were nowhere to be found. And he looked around and he saw some, 
some, some cart tracks headed off that way. And he says, those guys, I'm going to just get them. Boy, I tell you what, they stole my stuff. And so off he went, taking off after them. Well, by the time he found those people, they had already opened up the stuff. They had cans of goodies. They had meat. Oh, Lord, thank you for this bountiful blessing. They were praying around the dinner table. And all of a sudden, you heard this pounding on the door. And it was Almanzo. And he realized that he had a gun. He was ready to go, man. He had a, he had a shotgun. He was, ready to, he was ready to have at it. And when he opened up the door, these poor little boys, <laughs> the look on their faces were just like, oh no, what's going on? And the parents were looking around like, we're in trouble. And then the mother spoke up and said, well, we didn't realize it was your food. We just thought God blessed us. And so Almanzo went from angry and get them boxes back to, you know what? You guys need it worse than I do. And so he relented. And he, in fact, even pulled up a seat as they invited him to have a meal with him. And so they ate ham and the vegetables and all that. He started having a conversation with the father. And then he realized that the father lived in this place where they were mining some stuff. And his pickaxes and shovels had just worn out and broken. He didn't have any money to buy any more. So Almanzo had some of that in the back of his cart as well. And he said, tell you what, how about let me give you these pickaxes and these shovels. And you be encouraged. You keep this food. That's enough for, for a good while. And then you can have these shovels and these pickaxes, and hopefully that'll help you to get what you need to get. And maybe you can find the mining and stuff, all that you need, and you can make a living going forward. That's a long story, but the story is this. What do you have to give that can bring joy to people? It may not be a shovel and a pickaxe. It may be some food. It may be a kind word. It may be something else. It may be an electric blanket. Or a heater, space heater for someone who lives in a house where there's no heating. It, it may be just a simple gesture to say, I'll tell you what, I'll pay for that meal in front of me. Those people that are behind me or whatever. It, it, it could be whatever it is. It doesn't even have to be money. It could just be time. It could be a little bit of labor. It could be something. But if we do it as unto the Lord, he'll bless it. He'll multiply it. And he'll bring joy to these people because what we're doing is we're preparing the way for the good news of the gospel. What do you have that you can share? What is a way that you can sacrifice to bring joy to those around you? How can your life be a beacon of light to those that are walking in darkness? How can you be a blessing because of your love for Jesus? It's a good question that we need to ask. You see, this was John's call for his life. And not only was it John's call, but it's our call because we're all born to prepare the way for the Lord, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And by the way, I know this for a fact, it's our choice. It's a choice that we make every day. It's a choice that we make every moment of every day. So I want to encourage you to be careful with your response to the instruction that God gives you. Because here's what happens if you have the wrong response. Zachariah's response to the message that was given to him had some consequences that were not very pleasant. Let's continue to read in verse 18 of Luke chapter 1. It says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can this be? How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. 
Well, the angel said, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. In other words, listen, I'm telling you from the mouth of God, from his mouth to my ears, from my mouth to your ears, and if you're not believing this, I can't help your unbelief, and I can tell that based on what you're saying here that there's a problem with your response. You don't believe God. So here's what's going to happen, he says, and now you're going to be silent and not able to speak until the day that this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Here's what I know, church, that Jesus Christ is coming back, that Jesus Christ is God's son, that Jesus Christ did die for everybody's sins, and if we don't believe it, if we don't take the time, if we don't prioritize the truth of what I just said... There's going to be a price to pay. There's going to be repercussions in our life. I want to encourage you to step in to what God has called you and I to do, and that is to prepare the way of the Lord in other people's lives, or else there's going to be a price to pay. You see, Zachariah is skeptical of the good news given to him by the angel. He and his wife, Elizabeth, are old. Prospects of having children were slim, so because of his unbelief and distrust, the angel Silas... uh, Zechariah, and and Zechariah was unable to speak until the time that John was to be born to him. And I I don't know, maybe it is hard for you to speak the good news. Maybe it's hard for you to speak out with confidence the good news of great joy. Maybe that's a a challenge for you. I I talk to people, say, I don't even, I don't know how to witness. How about just just being kind to someone? As I've been saying, just, just live before someone in such a way where you can do something, say something, be something, just be Christ to them. You don't necessarily have to say, listen, let me give you the Roman road of salvation. I mean, it's okay to do that if you get to that point, but you may not necessarily have to. I'm not putting the requirement on you to stand on a street corner and hand out gospel tracts. If God's called you to do it, do it. But that's not the idea of witnessing. That's not the only type of witnessing that you can do. You're witnessing by the life that you live. You're witnessing by the sensitivity of the spirit that he gives you to say, wait a minute, I'm going to stop and take care of this situation here because the Lord is calling me to do it. I have an opportunity to do it, so I'm going to do it. Whatever that looks like, we do it. You know, you believe in Jesus. I get it. I, I, I think if I were to ask everybody here in this place today, that you would say, yes, I have Jesus in my heart. I'm born again. I believe Jesus is Lord. I'm in it. I'm, I, I, I got it. I, I, I got Jesus in me. You believe in Jesus. But maybe, maybe you're just overwhelmed. Maybe you're distracted. Maybe you've got some bad news, some struggle, and some disappointment in your life, and you're just, you're just spread thin. You're afraid. There's all kinds of things that are going on in your life that makes you just not want to do it. In fact, you just sometimes, I would just venture to say that some of us in here that you wonder if he even just, if he even cares at all. And sometimes if Jesus is even there. I know it may be hard for you to muster up joy for your own selves, let alone having joy for others. But let me just say this, church. Our personal momentary struggles don't change the fact that Jesus is the good news of great joy for all people. Now, whatever situation that you may be going through, you may not be able to find joy because of your struggles. But I can promise you, if you ask the Lord to help you, you will be able to find joy in your struggles. Because our joy is not found in things that change and that are undependable. But our joy is found in a person. His name is Jesus, who will never change 
and he is entirely dependable. Jesus is our joy. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our peace. Jesus never changes. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's with you in the good times. He's with you in the bad times. He's always with us. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says it this way, give thanks in, not because, but in all circumstances. I think a lot of times when we read that verse and we think, well, how am I supposed to give thanks because of my circumstances? You're really not supposed to. You don't have to, but you can give thanks in it. Give thanks in it. There's a heart posture that says, I don't like what's around me. I don't like how I'm feeling. I don't like what's going on, but I give thanks to you because you have not changed and you are faithful and you are my joy. Why? Because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's something about giving thanks in situations that helps keep our heart posture where it needs to be. So we give thanks not because of circumstances, but in circumstances. And I will read to you another scripture found in Nehemiah chapter 8. I love the book of Nehemiah. I I love Nehemiah and what he did. If you read the book of Nehemiah, I think it'll thrill your heart. I encourage you to get open up the book to the Old Testament and find Nehemiah. Just read that story. It'll challenge you. It'll bless you. But getting up to the point in chapter 8 where the wall was rebuilt, Nehemiah came back to the city, the wall was rebuilt, and now Ezra was partnering with him. Ezra was the priest, uh, and Nehemiah was pretty much just kind of like the mayor of the city, if you want to call it that, or the governor, if you want to call it that. He was the leader. But Ezra had partnered with him. And so Ezra was... Uh, Nehemiah had built up the walls in the city and the people. Ezra was building up their hearts back to the Lord. And so combining together, the, the, the words of the prophets were being read to these people who apparently they hadn't heard them in, in years and years and years. Generations probably didn't know these promises and these requirements in God's word of how we must serve the Lord. And so here we see in verse 8 of chapter 8 in Nehemiah, as they read from the book of the law, and they made it clear in giving the meeting so that the people understood what was being read, and then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, this day is holy to the Lord your God, don't mourn or weep. You see, what was happening was all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Why were they weeping? Because they realized that they were walking in disobedience. They were walking in sin. They were walking in rebellion to God. They didn't realize what they had been doing was grieving God's heart. So as the law was being read, they realized, wait a minute, uh, my heart's broken. I don't want to grieve God. I want to honor Him. And so they were saying, listen, this is not a day for weeping. It's a day for rejoicing. Nehemiah said, listen, go and enjoy choice food. Go and enjoy sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing to prepare. This day is holy to our Lord. Don't grieve. And here's a very familiar passage. It says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's where that phrase comes from. We sing about it in songs. The joy of the Lord is our strength. There's a strength that comes from the joy that we have. When we're weak, God's joy gives us strength. In our circumstances, if we let them get us down, we can say, wait a minute, I'm not going to weep. I'm not going to struggle. I'm not going to sorrow. I'm going to let the joy of the Lord strengthen me today. The Levites calmed all the people down saying, be still, for this is the holy day. Don't grieve. 
Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Notice how they were instructed. I've preached about this before. They were instructed not just to celebrate in their own way, but also to make sure that they go out and tell others. There's some good news here, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to eat, but I'm also going to give you something to eat. I'm going to be blessed, but I'm also going to bless you. You see, that's what God's calling us to do, is to go make a way, prepare the way of the Lord, bless others, and bring them joy. The people didn't know about God's promises, His instructions, His commands, When they heard it, they became aware of their sin and disbelief and rejection of God. It made them weep. But then they were encouraged, don't grieve, be joyful. Now that you're reminded of the goodness of God, go and celebrate your joy and celebrate it with others. You see, when we understand the promises of God, listen to me, church, this morning. The promises of God are yes, and so we say what to them? The promises of God are yes, and so we say, every promise of God is yes. Amen? Every promise of God is yes. Every, in other words, he's not a man that he would lie. And so we say, and amen means so be it, right? So we're just saying so be it to that. When we understand the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, that we can rest in those promises regardless of our circumstances, and we can experience great joy, which will not only strengthen us, but it's enough to strengthen others. I think too often we say, oh, I just got, I just got to hold on to this. I, no, there's plenty. There's plenty of joy. There's, there, God doesn't limit joy. Hey, I'm going to give you a little bit of joy, and don't you dare share it with anybody else. You know, when someone else laughs or smiles around you, what do you do? You smile and laugh too, don't you? It's contagious. There's something about that. And God wants us to have that same sort of joy in us that when we're smiling and laughing, that it comes out of us. It's that joy of the Lord that's not only strengthening us, but it's strengthening others around us who are walking in such struggle and despair, especially this time of year. As it relates to the Christmas story, this message may seem too good to be true, but it is true. That even though the good times of God, the good news of God who comes to us in the flesh, it seems hard to believe that God would come to us in the flesh, this good news of great joy, to rescue us. It just seems, why? Why would he want to rescue me? Why would he want to rescue any of us? We know know who we are, right? Who would want to give their life for, for us? We know what we've done. We know how we are. But God says, that's right, and I love you. And I'm going to send you my son. And I'm going to give you his life. And he's going to die for your sins. So that you can be cleansed of your sins by the blood that he shed. And that you can be restored back to right relationship back to me, God the Father. I'll tell you what, that's some good news. That's some good news. You mean I don't have to do anything about it? I don't have to say a bunch of Hail Marys and work myself to death and all that? I don't have to do anything? No, it's already been done. The only thing that I have to do is open up the door to my heart. The knob is on the inside. He's not going to force his way in. He's knocking on it. But I got to open up the door to my heart and invite him in. The work's already been done. I just open up the door and say, Jesus, come. Live in my heart. Forgive me my sins. Be Lord of my life. And he says, done. Done. I saw your need 2,000 years ago. I knew this day was going to happen. And so I made provision for it back then. And here you are today. And all of a sudden, we're restored back to God the Father. And church, if you're born again, you can run right to Daddy God today. And you can sit on his lap. And you can just jump on his lap and say, hey, Daddy. 
I love you. Thank you for loving me in spite of my sins, in spite of my messing up. You love me today. Thank you that I can just run to your throne. And I don't have to be afraid of you because all you see is the blood of Jesus. All you see is the blood of Jesus. I'm clean. (laughs) I'm restored back to you. Doesn't that bring you joy? Can't you see how that joy needs to be experienced outside of these four walls? And so we are the ambassadors. We are the John the Baptist of our generation. When we remain in his joy, his joy can be shared with others. Let's fast forward here to John's birth real quick in Luke chapter 1, verse 57 through 66. Now, just to get a little preface here that all the family was gathered here at the birth of John. Elizabeth was the cousin of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So there's a close relationship, a close relationship there, which means that Jesus and John were also cousins, second cousins. And from the time of, that their mothers had these babies in their wombs, they were leaping and dancing, and they were filled with the Spirit. They were connected by the Spirit of God. Because Elizabeth and, and Mary were pregnant about the same time. Mary first, and then, you know, and then, uh, rather, Elizabeth first, and then, and then Mary next. So the time had come for John to be born into the world, and we look at verse 57. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Surprise, surprise. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. There's that word joy. It keeps popping up, right? On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and, there was, and they were going to name his, him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, well, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. And so they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name his child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately, his mouth, Zachariah's mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe, and through the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Well, we know what this child was going to be. John the Baptist, who prepared the way of the Lord. Now, what does John mean? John means God has been gracious. So they named this child, God has been gracious. Because you think about it, they were older. And God was gracious to give them a child that they'd been praying for all of those years. This name that is given to the boy speaks volumes to the joy that surrounds his life. Think about it. John gave joy to Elizabeth and Zechariah. God had been gracious to both of them by giving them a son. God had also been gracious because through John's life, the whole world was being prepared for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. I want you to look around at your life today. I want to ask you this question. In what ways has God been gracious to you? Instead of looking at and dwelling on the bad stuff in your life, which there's plenty of opportunity to do that, I want to encourage you instead to look at how God has been gracious to you. And I've preached on this before, the Bible, but the Bible calls this the whatsoevers. Instead of saying, well, whatever, when stuff happens to you, in a negative and sarcastic way, how about saying, wait a minute, whatsoever, whatsoever, whatsoever. As you think about the whatsoever, as it cultivates God's joy, what are these whatsoevers? It's found in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatsoever is true. Whatsoever is noble. Whatsoever is right. Whatsoever 
is pure. Whatsoever is lovely. Whatsoever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about the whatsoevers, and when you do, it doesn't mean that you're not going through a hard time. It simply means that you choose to focus on the whatsoevers, and that will bring you joy, not because of your circumstances, but in your circumstances. When you dwell in the graciousness of God, because God has been gracious to you and to me. Amen? When you dwell on the graciousness of God, it'll bring you joy. And that joy will, bring, will be contagious. And it can be shared with others, which brings us to our final point here today. Because our joy that started out was that we know that our true joy comes from knowing Jesus. And then we have the opportunity to share that joy. But really, our joy comes from God's grace. God Rather, grace means unmerited favor, unmerited favor. So when we talk about grace, it feels like a kind of a big spiritual word. It's hard to kind of nail that down. But I think we understand what unmerited favor means. It means we didn't deserve it. I mean, what, what we're experiencing today, this salvation, we didn't earn it. It's unmerited. God did it in spite of us almost, you know. It was nothing we did to earn it. I'm so thankful for the essential character of God's grace that's been poured out on us. That's what Zachariah and Elizabeth experienced at the birth of their son, John. Their relatives all celebrated John's birth to his older parents who had long desired this child. Their friends and family shared in their joy. John's life surrounded it, was surrounded by joy, and that joy, is, and that joy is in the Lord's work among them as well. And Zechariah is still unable to speak, though. He writes the name of John in agreement, and upon his obedience, pronouncing of this boy's name, he once again was able to speak. And his first response is rejoicing. Think about it. Zechariah rejoiced. That was his first response. And he praised God. Surely, as I just read the word got out to the Judean countryside, they were wondering what this, what this boy was going to be all about. We know that John the Baptist lived an amazing life and he went on to prepare the way for Jesus. You see, John's life was marked by being full of the spirit of truth and rejoicing in serving God the Father. And as it was with John, so should it be with us that our life should be marked with being full of the spirit of truth and rejoicing in serving God the Father. It should be a joy in our lives. And if you're lacking that joy, if you're struggling to find out how to tap into that joy, I hope that before you leave here today, you'll say, Lord, I, I, I need your joy because I'm, I'm inherently a grumpy person. I'm inherently a negative person. I'm inherently a glass half empty person. I mean, I'm inherently just irritable. That's just my nature, right? Stop speaking that over your life. Instead, say, that may be my nature, but the nature of Christ in me is opposite of that. So I'm not going to give in to that. I may feel grumpy, but I'm not going to give in to it. I may feel irritable, but I'm not going to give in to it. I may feel angry and want to speak out and lash out, but I'm not going to open my mouth. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit take charge, and I'm going to let the joy of the Lord be my strength. I'm going to let the joy of the Lord control my tongue. I'm going to let the joy of the Lord control my thinking. I'm going to let the joy of the Lord control my emotions, you see. 
some of us, it may be like, yeah, I'm naturally kind of a happy, joyful person. Well, good for you. <laughs> That's kind of a rare thing, right? As a natural bent. Naturally, we're grumpy. Naturally, we worry. Naturally, we're angry. Naturally, we just give into the flesh. That's why we need to be spirit-filled and allow the Holy Spirit to say, wait a minute, let the joy of the Lord be my strength. I'm going to let one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And I'm going to let that joy rise up in me. So as it, was, as it was with John, so let it be with us. Because you see, as Jesus came in the manger as a lowly baby the first time, he's coming back the second time as the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And as John was assigned the privilege to prepare the way for his first coming, church, we're the generation that has been privileged to be here on this earth to prepare the way for his second coming. We're that generation. You are that generation. Do you hear me today? God said, I'm going to birth you now because you are going to be the one that's going to be one of my mouthpieces to prepare the way for the return of Christ. That's an awesome responsibility. It's sobering. It's exciting at the same time. So I ask you today, what path do you need to make straight in the desert? What valley do you need to raise up today? What mountain and hill do you need to make low today? What rough ground do you need to level today? What rugged place do you need to make plain today? What do I mean by this? What I don't mean is go rent out some heavy earth-moving equipment somewhere and start doing some construction. Sounds like hard work. It sounds like a lot of work. It really sounds impossible when you think about it. But God isn't asking us to go out there and run some heavy machinery today. But there are obstacles in people's lives, and maybe it's even in your life today before you can even go to that person out there. You can't even get around your obstacle today. And maybe that's a good start. There's some, there's some high mountains and some valleys and some different things that are going on in your life. Certainly you know those things, but I promise you there's some things going on in other people's lives too and there needs to be some straightening out. There needs to be some obstacles removed <clears throat> in life today. I don't know what that is, but you do, and the Lord does. There's mountains that are too tall to climb in your life. There's valleys that are too wide to traverse. Maybe in your life today, there's some rough places that are too difficult to navigate. Maybe there's some deserts in your life that are, true, that are too dry to survive. And God is calling you today in the power of the Holy Spirit to give it to him those things and say, I'm not going to let this be controlling my life anymore. I'm not going to let it be overwhelming in my life anymore. I'm not going to let it make me stop in my tracks because I can't navigate that because it's too big for me. But if it's too big for you, I got some good news for you today. There's nothing that is too big for God. So what is that obstacle? What is that mountain? What is that struggle? Man, let's deal with that today and give it to him. And then secondly, once we do, we can say, all right, Lord, I've given this to you. In my struggle, I've given this to you. That mountain's still there, but I still give it to you. That struggle's still there, still there but I still give it to you. In my circumstance, you're not taking it away. For whatever reason, it's still there. But in that circumstance, I will be joyful. And in that circumstance, I I'm going to... Step out from my struggles and be joyful to others and be Christ to others. 
and share the good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. Because there's a whole, you think you have a mountain. There's a lot of mountains out there for people that don't have Jesus in their heart. They're struggling with bondage. They're struggling with despair. They're struggling with habits. They're struggling with so much. And God's calling us to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit to help others along the way and to point them to Jesus. Again, we can't do this in our own strength. But as we see in Philippians 4.13, that we can do all things through Christ and His Spirit in us who strengthens us. And again, the joy of the Lord is that strength. Jesus gives us the tools. He gives us all we need to overcome the obstacles in our own lives as well as helping others prepare the way for them to experience Jesus in their own lives. 2 Peter 1 verses 3 through 4 says it this way. God's divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That's you and I today. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. And part of that divine nature is the joy of the Lord. Having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Church, it's high time that we lay aside those things of the world and that we embrace the things of God and say, you know what? These things are going to pass away. They will corrupt. They will fade. They will die. But I'm going to serve God and I'm going to embrace the, th- embrace the things that are eternal in my life. And when we rely on God's divine nature, when we rely on the Holy Spirit to help us, I promise you that it will help us to overcome those obstacles and we can experience God's great joy in our lives. And then we can help see others along their paths, <clears throat> bringing comfort and joy during this Christmas season and really throughout the whole year. So have you ever thought that you've been placed in others' lives I want you to think about these for just a moment. People that you work with in your school, in your home, in your neighborhood, the places that you frequent, you've been placed in their lives to bring them joy, to bring them the good news of great joy, which are for all people. You exist in their lives not for what they can do for you, but you exist in their lives for what you can do for them to bring them comfort, to bring them joy, and to prepare the way of Jesus in their lives. I'd like for you to stand with us this morning, if you will. Please stand with me, I should say. I'm so thankful for God's grace, His unmerited favor, aren't you? Aren't you thankful for God's grace this morning, amen? You know, we can never earn God's grace. It's that free gift. It's given us through Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection. But today, church, we should be a people marked by joy because of this grace that God has given us. When we live our lives from this place of joy, word spreads quickly, just like it did in John's life, John the Baptist. And as you read the story of John, people were in awe of of what he was sharing. And they will be the same with you as you share this good news, this miraculous birth of Christ at Christmas. God's called us, church, to prepare the way. So as you bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to ask you some questions and just let this, let the Holy Spirit help you to answer these questions truthfully, okay? And let's do some business before the Lord here today. So just don't worry about looking around. This is between you and the Lord. I want to ask you a question or two. Here they come. First one. Are you someone who outwardly displays joy 
to others. If not, you can be. Here's the next one. Are you someone who knows the true joys that come at Christmas? In other words, it's not Santa, parties, presents. Are you someone who knows the true joys that come at Christmas? If not, you can. How about this? Are you someone that rejoices in the face of adversity? That's a hard one. Because a lot of times, most of the time, our, our bent would be that we do just the opposite. We grumble in the face of adversity. Or we fear in the face of adversity. We shirk and shrink back in the face of adversity. But are you someone that wills yourself and chooses to rejoice in the face of adversity? If not, you, you can. You can be. Here's another one. What is the one way that you can display the good news of Jesus Christ in this holiday season? And I'm talking about let me be very specific. What is a way that you can display outwardly in your life the good news of this season this week? Not sometime in the future, but this week by the way that you live your life. How can you intentionally display the good news of great joy of Jesus Christ this week in your family, at your school, in your workplace, at the restaurants, at the grocery store, at the mall, the different places that you go, the different interactions that you have, how can you, by the way you live your life, display the good news of great joy this week? How can you prepare the way for others this week to experience Jesus this Christmas? How can you bring joy, the joy of Christ, to the people around you this week? Lord, we, we take these to prayer right now because we, in our natural bent, we're grumpy, we're fearful, we complain, we're anxious, we're weary, and you know, our, our flesh just steers us way too much. And in this season of Advent that we are called to step back and say, Okay, I need to rest. I need to reflect. What's the true reason for the season? One of those reasons is joy. The joy that you bring us. Jesus, we know that the good news of great joy is found in you alone, Jesus. Your joy brings us the strength. And we're privileged to tell others to prepare the way. And it's by the grace of God that we experience this in the first place. But Lord, help us to outwardly display this joy to others. We, we ask you to help us, Holy Spirit. We invite you to be joyful through us. Fruit of the Spirit of joy. Flow from us. Let it be authentic, not fake. <clears throat> not made up. Let it come from the deep, deep within us. Let the joy of the Lord rise up in us. And let it come out that we would not be easily offended, that we would not be quick to be angry, quick to be impatient, 
Instead, Lord Jesus, that we would rest in your joy and really let all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit interact with that joy, to be patient and kind and loving and all that. But Lord, ultimately, let, let there be a joy that comes out. Help us to outwardly display it. Lord, if there's anybody in this place that doesn't know the true joy of Christmas because they've just been caught up in the holiday stress. Lord, not only do I pray for your joy, but I pray for your peace to pour over each one. But Lord, if there's folks here today that don't know the true joy, the true meaning of Christmas because they've not experienced you in their hearts, I pray that today that they would simply just invite you, as I said earlier in the message, to invite you, Lord, into their hearts. If they would simply just pray, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come live in my heart. Be Lord of my life. And let that joy that's been invited in, the joy of who you are, become each and every one of our strength that you've washed us clean of all of our sins. And that we can rejoice in the God of our salvation, all of us, today. I pray, God, that people have prayed that prayer just now. And Lord, in the face of whatever adversity we may be facing here today, struggles, challenges, mountains, valleys, deserts, all of those things. And it's not just a, a one and out thing. It's not just been for the last week. It's been going on maybe for many of us for years. Lord, let today be the day that we give it to you because it's bigger than us, but not bigger than you. Let that mountain be something that you take care of. And may we rejoice in the face of it in all things may we give thanks in all things may we experience your joy and in all things may that joy come out from us outwardly displaying to others what a great testimony that would be lord that they would know that we're facing struggles we're facing circumstances and yet we still have a joy how can that be oh what an opportunity to display your joy in the face of adversity that others could see, man, I want that same joy. When I'm facing stuff, I want to have that same joy. Let us be a witness and an example of what that's all about. Father, help us all in this place to bring joy, the joy of Christ to those around us this week. Jesus, we thank you that you're the source of our true joy. And we get to share you with others. And we thank you for your grace. We love you. We thank you for these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Join us next week as we continue to learn from God's Word and apply it to our lives.